everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, family, how are we doing this morning? Good, good, good. So for those of you that may not know me, my name is Tony. Um, I, my, my beautiful wife, Jenna, and I have been going here for a little while. Uh, I think we have a picture of us at some point. There we are, yeah. So that's, that's us. If you haven't met us before, um, I'd love to meet you after the service. Um, and I, uh, uh, we are expecting our son to be born any day now. <laughs> And, okay, okay, okay. So there's some claps and everything, but I heard some stuff from the leadership team where everyone was praying that he would not be born today. <laughs> and so I just want to call you guys out on that. But, yeah, so either way, yeah, he should be here any day now. Um, so um, we've had some amazing speakers over the last several weeks. And so um, I was able to talk to Pastor John this week and uh, get together with him. And, and he just wanted to tell you guys how much he loves you guys and how excited that he is for um, what this season has been for him and his family um, and how good that they're doing. And um, even more than that, just excited for what he's hearing about what's going on here, even in his absence. I mean, he came in to the restaurant, gave me one of those like bro hugs that he does, and I thought my hand was going to fall off, um, but he was just full of excitement for this series, and this series is called Long Story Short, as you can see from the bumper. This is, um, it is all about the meta-narrative of scripture, and Brian did an amazing job last week talking about what that means. Yeah, we can give him a hand, yeah, of uh, the meta-narrative of scripture, because um, this is all um, about how the stories of Scripture kind of connect to one larger story. And it is not just the story that happened uh, in Genesis and Exodus and the New Testament and, and the early church. It is the story that you and I are a part of even today. And so that's why it's important for us to understand what the larger story of Scripture is. And so um, one story that I have um, is that uh, a few years ago, I was part of of a planning committee for a men's retreat. Um, and the funny thing is, actually, there's even some guys that were on that retreat here the, today, this morning. Um, but we were part of this retreat, and we did a lot of work ahead of time in planning the activities, planning the, getting the space kind of scoped out and everything, and advertising it. And when it came time to actually have the tr retreat, there was um, 10 people registered, just 10. And so you add that to the planning team, and that's like 15. And so uh, it was, it was kind of disappointing. We even had meetings that were like, should we even do this anymore? Like, is this still worth it? And so we still have the retreat. We go out there, and about 10 minutes before the, the, this kind of camping retreat starts, it is an absolute downpour. And everything just kind of is um, just completely soaked as people start to, to make their way in. Uh, and we even had like a like six-by-six-foot um, canopy tent that was like our only shelter 
winter. Um, so we had the food under there and we had actually put it right next to the fire. So it was either like get soaked outside while you're trying to eat or stand and slowly get uh, suffocate to death because the smoke is blowing in. It is just absolute disaster. Then we get to the, um, the, the kind of discussion and teaching kind of part of it. And we go to the shelter and the shelter we didn't realize actually doubles as the arcade. And so we're talking about like, what's God doing in our lives and what does this mean for us? And, and meanwhile, it's like Pac-Man and Mortal Kombat playing in the background, which, um, so as, as I think back on the retreat, um, there were problems with that retreat. Actually, there was one problem with that retreat. The problem with that retreat was not the weather. The problem was not um, the campsite, the planning. The problem with that retreat was me. Because, you see, I had ex expectations that God had never promised. I had um, plans that God had never told me he was going to fulfill, all right, about that retreat, about the kind of the details. But there is something that God had promised about that retreat. It's the same thing, in fact, that God's promising about your finances, your relationships, about your career, about all these aspects of our lives, even now. And that's what we'd like to talk about today. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, we are continuing the, where the story left off um, from last week. Last week we talked about Abraham and the promise made to Abraham. Um, so we continue down Abraham's line and we have Joseph, the guy that had the coat of many colors. He, um, he ends up being a um, close confidant to Pharaoh in Egypt and even so much so that he gains favor within Egypt. And, and, and so his uh, family, the Israelites, can actually come to Egypt and uh, escape famine happening where they are. Um, and this, is a, this, is, this actually works out really well until generations pass and generations pass and the, the Pharaoh now forgets about Joseph and what that what Joseph meant and, and why these people got here in the first place. And so they have become slaves. The Israelites have become slaves to the Egyptians. And so um, we are going to pick that up actually in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. So eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping uh, to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build cities of Pithom and Ramses, supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the field. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. 
And so that's a terrifying decree that's been made, but, but Pharaoh feels threatened. This power that has come over the Israelite people has, has become threatened and now decrees something brutal and something that will destroy the lives of these people. And so if um, we know this story, if anybody knows this story, Moses is born to Pharaoh's daughter, um, rises um, to power, or well, Moses is born, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him in the reeds as they saved him, and he rises to power in Egypt and um, ends up being part of the royal family, eventually sees somebody um, brutally um, abusing one of his Israelite people and, and kills them with his bare hands and then runs away. And this is where God intervenes. And God intervenes, if we flip over to Exodus chapter 6, and while you get there, so what we see is something that was once good. So something that was once a safe haven for these people, a safe haven from famine, in e and they came to Egypt, and now it has become a brutal enslavement, and it has really become a prison. So, uh, with the Israelite people, I mean, long story short, they make it out of Egypt. A lot of you know this story, and so... Um, but the story here is not necessarily of a people kind of rebelling, an oppressor, and kind of fighting their way out. It's not a story of God kind of picking up people and supernaturally moving them to a new place. It is a story of people who are imprisoned walking out of the prison that God has opened. And so um, if we look in chapter 6, verses 1... Then the Lord told Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as for Foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I, free you, I will free you from your oppression, and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and with great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Now, I'm going over the story somewhat fast because of the fact that um, if you have a church background, a Christian background, a Jewish background, or a film history background, you've probably heard of this, right? You've probably heard this story of the, of the people of Exodus kind of uh, walking out and, and the waters parting and everything. Um, but let's not miss this, all right? So um, what this is a picture of is God freeing us from something. It's a picture of God freeing his people from a prison. And a lot of times that prison is, of course, rightly related to what sin would be in our lives. But, but when we think of sin and we think of prisons, like a lot of times we think of things like murder. We think of things like lust. We think of things like greed, stealing from people, and, and things that we kind of throw ourselves into 
um, that are inherently bad, according to what the Bible says. But that's not the story we see here. What we, the story we see here is not a people kind of throwing themselves into something that is already bad and, and facing the consequences. What we see is people who are under something that was once good that has now become a prison. And so from this scripture, we see that God is calling us out of our prisons. He was calling them out of their prison at that point. He's calling us out of our prisons today. And so I want to give you a couple of examples of prisons that we might find ourselves in, um, and that might help make my point. The, f- the first one I want to talk about is the prison of people. And so um, if when we walk into a room, a lot of us, we kind of, we kind of instantly scan the room, don't we? We kind of look around and we kind of see, okay, what am I going to have to do to be accepted? What am I going to have to do to be loved? What am I going to have to do to fit in? What am I going to have to do to gain the favor of these people? And we do that at church. We do that at work. We do that in, in social settings. And, and that becomes a prison. Now, now, inherently, it's not bad to want people to like you, right? I mean, we don't walk around saying, I don't care if people like me. That's fine. It's good for them. But we, we do inherently, it's good to, to have people like you and enjoy your company, but that, when that becomes ultimate, you start to sacrifice things for that, don't we? And so um, what this might sound like to, pe- to people that talk to you is like, you know, when you're with them, you're different. When you're with them, you act like a totally different person. Or when you're alone with me, you act completely different because we change ourselves in order to fit what it is that that group might want to see. I mean, I even feel feel the pressure in preparing a message of, okay, well, what is everybody going to think of this? And that becomes a prison because then I am imprisoned not to what God is telling me to say, but but to what everybody else might want to hear. So the prison of people can also extend past that. It can also be um, specific people. So like, um, if we think about our friends, our significant others, how, how we can kind of just put all of our chips, all of our identity on how that person thinks of us. And I've been guilty of this just as much as anybody else has. And so how we see ourselves and our identity fluctuates with how certain people view us, right? Or even worse than that, how about parents and kids? Like how many of us walk around with wounds from our parents who may not have said the right thing or done the right thing and we just sacrifice everything because I'm going to show them. I'm going to get their approval. I'm going to get them to say that they're proud of me whether they like it or not. Or our kids, like, like, okay, so like I said, I have one on the way so I'm not in this world completely yet but I've got nephews and nieces and I've been to their softball games and there's some wickedness that happens in that bleachers. <laughs> Right? So, like, what you see here is that there's people who their entire life, their entire identity is built upon how well their nine-year-old hits a softball. And what it comes down to is that even since I was never able to be a star athlete, this person who, by the way, I raised and is biologically half me, is going to somehow do so well that they're going to make it to the all-stars and that's going to somehow make me feel better. And it becomes a prison. And once again, I'll qualify it. It's not a bad thing to want your kid to succeed. It's not a bad thing to want to please your parents. In fact, the Bible would tell us how good it is to honor your father and mother, how good it is to train up a child. 
But when it becomes ultimate, it enslaves us. So people, different prisons. How about another one? Possessions. So all of these start with P. So there's your alliteration for this morning. Um, so my wife and I did the uh, Dave Ramsey, the Financial Peace University. And it's been amazing. It was wonderful. Um, really set us up on a good path. But I love the quote that Dave Ramsey says in his book, Total Money Makeover. He says, um, we buy things we can't afford with Well, we buy things we can't afford with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And so, like, we buy things. Like, I will tell you this story. So I came up to my phone being um, up for renewal. My phone was, um, um, I had the, the older iPhone, and it was time for me to go into Verizon, the new iPhone. And by the way, I used to be somebody who was like, I knew every new technology that was on the market. I, like, knew, okay, this is all my selections that I have. This is the best thing. And I don't know what happened if I'm getting older or whatever, but I walked into Verizon, and I said, I need a new one of these. If you have something that does this, but better. <laughs> and so they hooked me up with this iPhone XS Plus R Max thing. And, and I, get, I get back, and it's so weird. When I open this thing up, it's like this new piece of technology. And to, this, this was two weeks ago. I still can't tell you what this thing does. I know it makes calls, and I know it texts people, all right? But I still can't tell you what it does. And, and, but there's something about it that made me feel like a better person. This new stuff, it makes me, because I have this, I'm more important and I matter. And I, it's like a drug that I feel so much more significant because I have this new technology. And so that happens to us with more home than we can afford, more car than we can afford, more stuff than we can afford, better clothes than we can afford, because we want to somehow matter to people that we don't know or don't even like. And there's nothing wrong with having stuff, right? There's nothing wrong with having a good, reliable vehicle or a nice house. But when it becomes the ultimate pursuit, when it becomes the passion of my heart, it imprisons me. And I will sacrifice relationships, I'll sacrifice my finances, and I'll throw it all away. I got one more for you. So people, possessions, the third one is this, pursuit of perfection. Put perfection in quotes there. So... um, Like, it's really, really good. In fact, the Bible would affirm training your body and eating healthy and getting to the gym. In fact, a lot of times I like, on Sunday mornings, I wonder how much time I I should actually be spending on that side of the wall other than this side of the wall in the Y. (laughs) But but it's good to be, to, to take care of and steward the body that God has given us. But when that becomes ultimate, what that looks like is, um, I'm not really pursuing health. I'm not pursuing stewarding what God has given me. I'm chasing after something that somebody told me was perfection. Something that somebody showed me was perfection. And I could have seen that in a magazine. I could have seen that on TV. I could have seen it in Friends. But, but either way, I was told that this is perfection. And this is what I need to attain. And you end up in one of two places if you do that. You end up either attaining the thing that it is you were chasing. And now you think you're better than everybody. And you want to do anything you can to not lose that. Or more often what happens is you don't make it because it is a standard you were never meant to make it up to. And you think you are. You look in the mirror and cannot stand yourself because you don't make something that you were never told you could make. And it imprisons us. But God swung the door open and is calling us out of these prisons. 
So if God is calling us out of something, then what is he calling us into? Because so often, don't we find ourselves walking out of a prison right into another one? And so what is God actually calling us into? Well, I was going to start looking for another text in Exodus, but it's actually in the one we just read. Um, I'll just give you four quick quotes from that text. God says it four different times. I am Yahweh the Lord, El Shaddai, God Almighty. I am the God who freed you from oppression in Egypt. I am the Lord. God is calling us to himself. He's calling us into his presence. That is the one thing that he is promising about our lives. It's one thing he's promising about our finances. It's the one thing he's promising about our relationships. It's the one thing he's promised about that awful camping trip we had years ago. It's the one thing he promises this morning at church. He is here and his presence is among us. And if we will walk out of those prisons, we can walk into his presence and be his people. And so... um, If God's calling us into his presence, I just want to quickly clarify that there's two things that God is not calling us into, at least not ultimately the thing he's not calling us into. When he's calling us out of our prisons, he's not calling us into prosperity. He's not calling us into financial wealth. He's not calling us into physical health, and he's not calling us into personal happiness. Now, you might get tastes of those things here and there. You'll get better and worse as time goes on. You'll be happy at times. You'll be not happy at times, but that's not the Christian life that God's called us into, And because so many times we walk out of those prisons expecting prosperity, expecting to see our finances boom, expecting to see us never get sick, expecting things to always go well, and then when it doesn't, we shake our fist at God. We say, this was a mistake. Walk back into that same prison. And so God is not calling us to just prosperity. And I know you want to quote Jeremiah 29, 11 at me, and that's on your coffee mug and everything. But but I'm telling you that his plans for you to prosper, that verse is much more about the plan than it is the prosperity. The point of that is that there's a plan, and he's there the whole time, and he promises he'll, he has a plan for you, and I am telling you, I can almost assure you it's not going to look how you thought it was going to look. And it's not going to happen in the time that you think it was going to happen. It's just going to be a little bit different. So he's not calling us into prosperity. He's also not just calling us to be good church folk. And so um, this is a, an amazing church. I love this church. We sit under some, um, some wonderful teaching and some outstanding worship environments. And, and, and I love the worship at this church. I love the teaching at this church. But, but I'm telling you, if you think that City of Lights is ultimately the thing that God has brought you into when he brought you out of prison, aside from his presence, you're going to be disappointed. Because we are going to let you down. We're going to do something. We're going to be a, make it. There's a decision that someone's going to make. We're all sinners, so somebody's going to do something to offend you, and you may or may not get that apology, and I'm sorry if you don't, but this church will let you down at some point, and if you think that this is the only thing that God's called you to, you're going to be let down, and two years from now, you're going to say, this isn't my church. I'm going to go somewhere else, and then that church is going to let you down. You're going to bounce somewhere else, and eventually, you're going to say, I need something that has more groups, less groups, bigger groups, smaller groups, a coffee bar, no coffee. I need something that is a little more traditional, something a little more new age. It's always going to be about these details because God's not calling you into just a church. He's calling you into his presence. So if we, if we look at his presence, 
and we want that to be teamed up with what God's calling us to. All right, so yes, so God, if God is calling you to this church, then I'm so glad that you're here. And this is an amazing place, but his presence supersedes that. In fact, um, I wouldn't move if God didn't say to move. And that's seen even in Exodus. I'm going to jump all the way. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to jump all the way to Exodus 33, um, where we get to this promised land. And, um, and when God says that you guys are kind of just worshiping your own things, you're celebrating these possessions that you have, and that ultimately is what you're, what you're wanting and not me. And so you can go ahead into the promised land. I'm going to stay here. That's God's words. And then Moses says to him, and this is verse 15 of Exodus 33, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets, us, sets your people and me apart from all other people on earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. So why is Moses talking to God and other people are kind of way back in the distance and they're kind of, you know, worshiping these idols and things like that? Um, they, they were sending at that time a priestly representative to interact with God, to speak for God for him. Um, and they sent Moses up to do that. So Moses is this deliverer picture who speaks to God. And Hebrews will tell us later that Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus filled up every gap that Moses was weak in. In fact, if you think about Moses, let's say Moses came in the city of lights. He couldn't even serve in city kits. I mean, we might put him on the setup team, but there's a lot of like poles and blunt objects. I don't know that I want that dude around there. He killed somebody with his bare hands. And so Jesus was everything that Moses wasn't. He was perfect in every way and sacrificed himself so that we no longer need a priestly representative to go up and talk to God and argue with God with us. He is here among us and he lives inside of us. And so what happens when God opens the doors and we walk out of prison into his presence is we just want to think at that point it's kind of happily ever after and that's the end of the story. Um, but I'm actually going to read Exodus 14, kind of jumping around in Exodus here, but Exodus 14, 5 through 14. When the word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariots and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. And the, the Egyptians chased them after with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops, the Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel. And as they camped beside the shore near Pirath, across from Baal Zephon, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? 
What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still here in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves in Egypt. It is better to be a slave in Egypt than the corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told his people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And so um, at that point, the waters, he puts his staff up there, the waters part, they walk on dry ground, and the Egyptians, their chariots and everything are, are kind of swallowed up in the water, and they're delivered. But we all have heard this story, but, but, but let's stop before the waters part here and look at the response of these people. Because if God has called us out of these prisons into his presence, this is my third point, our response should be consistent with the call that God has put on our lives. And so what we see here is a people who are trying to take the reins back from God and go back into these prisons enslaved to things, forgetting the deliverer that has delivered them out of these prisons. And so, so often we walk out of prisons into other prisons. We walk out of prisons, realize that things don't look the way we thought they were going to look or happen the way we thought they were going to happen or on the timeline we thought was going to happen. And sure enough, we shake our fist at God. We say, why is it that you brought me out here to die? Our response should actually be consistent with the call. And so what this looks like is... You know, it, it is engaging with the Word of God. It is, it is being a part of a local community of faith. It is being under worship and teaching and everything, even though that's not ultimate, that's not the thing, but that's part of it, right? That's, that's our response to God. That's not the thing that we've been called into. That's actually our response to what God did for us. And so um, this is why also we sing. So before this started, we sang that we're no longer slaves to fear that he split the sea so we could walk right through it and our fears were drowned in perfect love. We sing about these things because that gets it in our head and repetitiously sing about the thing that God has done for us. I mean, this is why, okay, this is why it might be important to, to, to be up here ready to sing when that countdown hits zero. And I'm, that's touching a little bit of a nerve here, I know. But it's not, we don't show up here, right, ready to go when the countdown hits zero because the band needs energy, all right? I'm going to tell you that, like, most weekends, um, earlier in the morning when we're setting up, the band does a run-through, and Judah comes running up, and he says, what's up, City of Lights? And there's two people stacking chairs that just look up and then just keep stacking chairs, and his energy level is not changed, <laughs> It is not because the band needs energy. It is because at, when that countdown hits zero, it is the time for all of us to join in a family of faith that has, done, that has seen God move in our lives and we can celebrate and we can say, God has saved me. God's opened the door of this prison. And even though it doesn't look like how I think it's going to look and it's not happening the way I think it's going to happen, I know he has a plan for me and I know it's working. So I'm going to call the band back up, and we're going to give you a moment to do some business with the Lord. 
So um, now the story of Pharaoh is one that we shouldn't miss. It illuminates something else about how this all works, is that when the call of the gospel goes out, you either walk out of those prisons, walk into his presence and, and say, God, I'm following you, or your heart is hardened. And so don't let your heart be hardened this morning. So the call goes out, and we continue um, to either follow Jesus or be our own functional Savior. So maybe today is the day that you um, have first, our first time ever going to say, yes, I'm walking out, I'm going to follow Jesus, and this is going to look totally different from now on. And I'm not sure how everything and all the the nuts and bolts of everything, but I'm going to trust God that he's got a plan. And if the, the Bible talks about this in probably my favorite passage of Scripture, this process. And it's in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by the grace of God that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms uh, with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. And as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're feeling like, you know, I've never quite, I've never quite walked out of that prison door. I've never quite realized that this thing is kind of raining down on my life, and I'm actually walk out for the first time ever. And so I'm going to give you a moment to, to, you can come up and pray with one of our prayer team. They're going to be around here, and, um, and you can pray at your seat and, and, and give you a moment to do that. But, but but that's not the only group I'm talking to this morning. That's not the only space that we're allowing for this morning. See, many of us have not responded in a way that's consistent with the call on our lives. Many of us have walked out of prisons into other prisons, and and we see things in our lives that are bearing down on us. We see the weight that is crushing us from people, from from passions of, of possessions in the world, or the pursuit of this kind of perfect image that we actually don't even know. The perfect image, friends, is Jesus. And so, and so maybe those things are kind of weighing down on your life and you just need a moment, whether, with, whether by yourself or with somebody else, to just say, look, I've let this thing become ultimate. I've let this thing kind of supersede the place that God's put and I need to just repent of it. I just need to, I just need to walk out of that prison today and, and, that, and there's power in somebody who can just pray with you and give you a hug and say, hey, me too. 
I, I, I'm in that same boat, and I have things that come up. And, um, and, and so maybe that's you this morning. So we want to give you a spot to do that. And, and for the rest of us, um, let's worship. Let's worship like people that have been set free. Let's worship like people that can look back and say, man, this thing used to completely rule my life, and now I'm completely free of it because of what Jesus did, all right? So let's stand, let's worship. I'm gonna let the team lead us here and we'll worship God. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.